Uh, title of this morning's message is fingerprints and we saw on the video just a second ago that how fingerprints they may look invisible for a period of time but there are things you can do to shed light on them and actually use them as evidence to convict someone of a crime and a CSI is on the site for the is on the crime scene for the purpose of finding evaluating and collecting physical evidence sometimes this process may be slow and methodic such as finding fingerprints and so we know the whole reason why a CSI goes on a crime scene is to find evidence of something that has happened to convict a person who committed the crime of the crime and so today we're going to find out some truth some amazing truth from the scriptures that hopefully will change and shift some of our thinking about common scripture texts that we've heard in the past that that we've maybe utilized wrongly at some point in our life and so what is a fingerprint a fingerprint is a physical mark left on or at a crime scene that can be used as evidence and proof to convict a person of a crime. Fingerprints are unique and distinct. They, even, they can even link separate instances together and can prove the same criminal did different crimes. And so fingerprints are literally those things right there that we just talked about. They're distinct. They're, they're unique, and they can be linked uh, to a singular person that committed a crime. And we all know, ever since we were in elementary school, that our fingerprints are unique to us. There's no one like them. There's nobody else has my fingerprints, and you don't have, uh, nobody else has your fingerprints. And so they are uh, awesome clues to bring us to a place where we can convict somebody of a crime. And if we're going to find out how to catch a thief today, we must be remembering what we've talked about. What is the scene that we're talking about? We've mentioned this in every sermon. The scene that we're talking about is the whole Word of God. That is a huge scene that we are discovering. So we've narrowed some specific sermons down to specific parts. Today, the scene that we're going to cover, it's going to go through the whole Bible. It's going to start in Genesis and go all the way through the New Testament Scriptures as we find out how to catch a thief. And so what is the scene? The scene is the Word of God. What is the crime? The crime is what happened in the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter number three when sin came on all mankind because uh, man chose to trust in uh, some someone other than God himself and everything was then turned over to Satan as we now know him and refer to him as what is the God's motive for the word of God his whole motive is written for one purpose it's redemption the whole word of God is written because he wants you redeemed brought back to him in an original state God had a motive God had an agenda when he wrote the word of God that's why it's not an all-encompassing history book he put the things in there that pertained a clear path to show that we have a redemptive plan and his redemptive plan started in Genesis chapter 3 after the original crime occurred and so a CSI's job is a lot more than gathering facts it is finding the truth of what happened at a crime scene so our job as a believer is a lot more than gathering facts of the Bible it's more than memorizing scripture verses in the Bible it doesn't do you no good if you can memorize the whole Bible but don't know the truth that comes with it amen because if you can just gather a bunch of knowledge and facts that's okay you got a bunch of knowledge and facts but that produces religion it's when the truth of God shines on it and reveals light unto it that it becomes truth to you and that's what transforms it says you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free it doesn't say you'll have knowledge and knowledge will set you free so we must gather, gather, uh, gain a full grasp of the truth and what God is trying to speak to us here today. And so the original crime scene that we're going to talk about this morning is Genesis 3. And so if you have your Bibles, begin to open to Genesis 3, verse number 17. Genesis 3, 17. And as you're turning there, I want to encourage you to bring your Bibles, break out your notepads, uh, break out your phone, Facebook message, good points to people, begin to tell people about what you've learned. Because if you don't begin to write down what you've learned, uh, before today's done, you'll have forgotten 90% of what I say. And as fast as I talk, you'll have probably forgotten 95% 
of what I say. And so you, you'll forget 90% of what you've been taught by the end of today if you don't write it down. At the end of a month, you'll remember 1%. At the end of a year, you'll remember less than 0.01%. And mainly the only thing you'll remember is a vague illustration from the message if you do not begin to write down and take notes about what you're learning. And so as we find Genesis chapter number 3, we're going to find out what the fingerprint is first in this crime scene that we're talking about. And so the crime scene is in Genesis chapter number 3 and verse number 17 is where we're going to start. And God said to Adam, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree which I commanded you, you shall not eat of the tree that I commanded that you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. You shall eat the plants um, of the field. By the sweat of the face of your brow you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you are taken, for you are dust, and dust you shall return. That's not a very positive and encouraging scripture, is it? <laughs> that doesn't sound like a very fun scripture to kick this message off with, but this is the very truth-telling scripture of what happened. And we must get the initial part of this crime scene right. If we're going to find out the fingerprint that we're going to trace through all of the scriptures to get to the truth of what God is telling us at the end of this message. So we must get the crime scene right. If we misinterpret the first part of the evidence of this scene in the Bible, we're going to misinterpret every other piece of evidence that builds upon it. Amen? So we must get this part right. And so the part I want us to, first of all, get right is as we read this, God is not cursing and God is not condemning. God is not cursing and God is not condemning. God is telling them the results of what their sin was. Okay? So all of, the, all of us who have said, well, God just curses and does this. No, God is telling Adam and Eve the results of their sin. He said, because you have sinned, this is the result. The ground is now cursed because of what you did. And the ground being cursed because of what you did, you're now going to have thistles and thorns on the ground. You're going to have to work by the sweat of your brow. You're going to have to eat the plants of the field. You're going to have to bake your own bread. You're not going to have the trees that I provided great fruit for you on anymore. It says, because of your actions, this is the consequence of it. So we must begin to gather the truth of what happened here, not just what we've always may have imagined it as going forward. And so, now what is a fingerprint? We talked about this earlier. A fingerprint is a physical mark. Uh, left on a crime scene that can be used as proof to convict a person of a crime. Fingerprints are unique, they are distinct, and they even link separate instances together and prove the same criminal did different crimes. And so, what is the physical piece of evidence that we just read about in this passage? The physical piece of evidence that we read about in this passage is in Genesis 3.17. It says, you shall not eat of it, cursed is the ground because of you, in pain you shall eat all the days of your life. And then he brings first, uh, uh, the first form of physicality to the consequences of their sin. He says, thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall now eat the plants of the field. So the very first thing that happens when, um, uh, when the fall of man occurred uh, is God said, this is the consequence, and the very first thing to sprout up because of it is thorns and thistles. Now, I find that kind of unique and weird that that would be the first thing that, that popped up because of it. And I, you know I'm big on the theology of first. Anytime the first thing, something's mentioned for the first time in the Bible, follow it through because there's something probably important about that thing that's said about it. And so the first thing that pops up, it says, thorns and thistles shall bring forth. Now, our fingerprint, just like a fingerprint here, is overlooked many times. And many times as you've read Genesis, you've probably read that and just kind of read right over thorns and thistles. 
But just like a fingerprint that is unseen until the proper light is shed on it, we will never know the evidence of what we can convict a thief of until we get it. Just like that, a thorns and the thistles that we've read here over the years, we probably just read over it, but now let's let God begin to shine light on this fingerprint, and let's follow this fingerprint of thorns and thistles through the Old Testament, through the New Testament, and how the enemy has deceived many of us and stolen from many of us, thinking that thorns, well, many of us have even credited God with thorns. Huh. Now, if we got the first part of the scripture right, that God didn't curse the ground with thorns, he said the ground is cursed because of our actions or the consequences of the actions, that means it's the, it's the work of the thief that was the producing of the thorns, not the working of God. Now let's follow this through scripture and let's watch what God begins to do. Moses speaks of thorns. In Numbers 33, 5, Moses speaks of thorns and he says, But if you will not drive out the inhabitants of the land before you, then it shall come to pass that those which you let remain in the land shall be pricks in your eyes and thorns in your side and they shall vex you in the land in which you dwell. So basically we learn from this passage of scripture that as Moses is telling them as they're going into the promised land, as he's given Joshua instructions, that if you don't drive out the inhabitants of this land, they're going to become pricks in your eyes, thorns in your side, and they're going to be a pain in your all the rest of your life, is what he's saying. Come on, you know that's exactly what he's saying. He just said, he just said it like this, they will vex you in the land. <laughs> Moses, really? <laughs> They're going to be a pain in your hiney the rest of your life is what he's saying. And so our job as we look at this scripture is to realize that thorns will be in the land because of the consequence of Genesis 3, but even in the Old Testament they were given the power to drive out the thorns. They were given the power in the Old Testament to drive out those things which are considered thorns. Let's go to the next time the, the Bible speaks of thorns. It's in Joshua Chapter 23, verses 11 through 13. Now, this is where Joshua has taken over the Israelites. They're going into the promised land. And now they're having to live out what Moses just said. If you don't drive out the people of this land, they're going to be thorns and pricks in your eyes, and, and, and they're going to be pains in your high inside. So now Joshua's in the land. And in Joshua 23, 11 through 13, it says, For a certainty that the Lord your God will no more drive out any of these nations before you. So it says God's not going to drive them out anymore. If they're going to be driven out, it's going to be driven out by our faith and us walking in the authority of what God has given us. Okay? He will no longer drive them out before you, but they shall be snares and traps to you and scourges in your side and thorns in your eyes until you perish off this good land in which the Lord your God has given you. So if we don't remove the thorns in the power that God has already given us, because if you'll Play it back a little bit in Joshua 1. He said, Joshua, I'll give you every place that you set your foot. Everything that your hand touches, Joshua, it's going to prosper. No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life, Joshua. Be strong and courageous, Joshua. Have I not said to you, Joshua, be strong and courageous because the Lord your God has already given you this land. So by saying that, Joshua already knew he had the authority and the power of God to drive out everything in front of him. And so God says, Joshua, you go do it. Now an angel of God speaks of thorns. And it says, Wherefore I also said, I will not drive them out before you, but they shall be as thorns in your side, and their gods shall be a snare unto you. This is a warning from an angel. King David speaks of thorns in 2 Samuel 23.6. Do you see how this fingerprint is following all the way through, and we're trying to catch this same thief 
that is the producer of the thorns. In 2 Samuel 23, 6, it says, But the sons of Belial shall be as unto, as unto all of them thorns thrust away because they cannot be taken with hands. This means it's more than just a physical matter. It's a spiritual matter that you're having to deal with as well. It's more than just a physical matter. It's a spiritual matter as well. Now let's get to the New Testament because Jesus, our Lord and Savior, even speaks of thorns. In Matthew chapter 13, 22, and the fingerprint follows what David just said. It's spiritual matters as well. To the one who receives the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the words of the word of God, but the worries of life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it out, the thorns choke it out, making it unfruitful. Oh Lord, so this same thief has jumped covenants with us. This same thief in Genesis 3 that Moses talked about, that Joshua talked about, that an angel talked about, that David talked about, has jumped covenants, and now Jesus is talking about it. The Apostle Paul also talks about it in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. And it says, So to keep me from becoming conceited, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me. I'm going to stop right there. I just, I cannot go on any longer with people being deceived about this scripture. When all through all the other scriptures we just read, it's clear, it's very clear that thorns are flat out the thief, the enemy, and Satan. And we get to this scripture, and just because Paul says, so there was a thorn given to me in my flesh, everybody says, oh, it's God. When right after that, it just said this. It says, there was a thorn given me into my flesh, a messenger of Satan. Paul called out the thief. Paul called him out. He said, there was a thorn given me in my flesh, a messenger of Satan. Now, we're going to pull all this stuff together here in just a minute because we found the fingerprints, and we've attached the fingerprint to the thief. A messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming succeeded. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me, but he said to me, my grace. Everybody say, my grace. <laughs> say, my grace. Say it one more time, my grace. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Now, if what we've just learned about thorns, thorns are situations in our life that we're supposed to drive out because of the authority we've already been given. Come on. When God says, my grace is sufficient for you, he's saying, I've already given you, Paul, the power, the authority, the faith, and everything you need that pertains to life and godly to drive that messenger of Satan out. Now, come on. And y'all who have ever thought, well, God must have just had mercy. And just, he just had to suffer with it. <laughs> oh, we're fixing to find the truth in this scripture. Amen. And this is why I'm going to say you're fixing to catch a thief today. Amen. Because some of you have said, oh, that's so-and-so. They're just a thorn in my side. Do you know where that came from? Straight out of the Bible. They're a thorn in my side. Do you not, do you not read how many times it said, and there shall be a thorn in your side, a thorn in your side, a thorn in your side. And so in this, if we're going to find the truth, if we're going to catch a thief, we've got his fingerprint, the fingerprints of thorns, and you've got them in your life because you said, that's thorn in my side, or it's a pain in my eye, or something like that. You've got it. So you've got the fingerprint. Paul called out the thief right here. He said, it's a messenger of Satan. And so now we must begin to understand how the working of the thief actually takes place if we're going to catch him. 
Because if we're going to catch a thief, we must begin to find out how he worked in the past, but also what he works through. The fingerprints we just concluded is that thorns are always personalities or spirits manifested through people. Come on. Now, people ain't the devil. You got to quit looking at your boss and thinking he's the devil. He ain't the devil. And all TWBC staff said amen. Come on, have my back. Your boss is not the devil. Your in-law, your outlaw, your father-in-law, mother-in-law, whoever, your, your, your laws are not the devil. But there are personalities that can show up in them. It's just like when Jesus looked at Peter, and we talked about this like, get thee behind me, Satan. He wasn't talking to Peter. He was talking to the personality that was pushing Peter to say, Jesus, I'm never going to let you die. And Jesus said, I got to die. And so Jesus looked at the personality that was manifesting in Peter and said, get thee behind me, Satan. So if you're going to fight something, you've got to understand what we're fighting. We're not fighting people, but we are fighting the spirits that drive them. And those are considered thorns. And so listen to what Paul says in the book of Romans. Damon, say amen, because this is your verse. <laughs> listen to what Paul says in the book of Romans about thorns. He doesn't ever mention it specifically, but what we just learned about thorns, how they operate and come through personalities and people, many people, when they quote this verse, quote it wrongly, and they say, and what shall separate us from the love of Christ? It never says what. It always says who. I'm going to read to you eight verses, and it's going to say who ten times. And it never specifies a who as a what. It specifies who's as who. As people, and it says, what shall we say then to these things? If God is for us, not what shall be against us, who shall be against us? He who did not spare all things in his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Jesus Christ, the one who died for him. More than that, who is raised again to life, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or, or danger, or the sword, as it is written, for your sake all day long we are being killed and be sent as sheep to the slaughter. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loves us, for I am sure that neither death nor life, neither angels nor rulers, neither things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor anything of height or depth, or anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Come on now. I'm telling you, if you'll trace this fingerprint, we'll catch a thief who we know is Satan, and the Bible clearly says right here, it's not a, it's not a what, it's a who. It's not a what, it's a who. And so we need to catch the who, the personality or the spirit that's driving into your family and catch a thief. We need to catch him. And so we need to begin to understand how did the thorn come to Paul? Paul, great and mighty Paul, awesome Paul. He is one of my favorites in all of the Bible. I love him. I love his lifestyle of discipline. I love his, his spirit of boldness. I love how he is not ashamed of the gospel. I love his work ethic, how he was willing to do whatever it took to get the gospel to go forth. I love his trips that he took, his missionary journeys. But the one thing about Paul is he hung around Peter maybe a little too much at a certain time. Because what he said in 2 Corinthians 11, verses 16 through 21, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but verse 17 says, Paul said, I say with the Lord's authority, not I say, Paul said this in verse 17, I say 
not with the Lord's authority, but as a fool. What? Paul clarified, I'm stepping out of the anointing and I'm going to speak like an idiot. That's what he said. That's what he said. When you step out of your anointing and speak like an idiot, you're opening the door for a messenger of Satan, a thorn to come into your life. You need to stay in the anointing when you're talking, when you're witnessing, when you're blessing, when you're at your workplace, when you're at your home life. You need to stay in the anointing because most of us, we step out of the anointing and we speak like a fool sometimes and it opens the door for a messenger of Satan to walk right in because you said it and you can admit, hey, I said that, so I'm the fool. Paul said it. Paul said, I spoke like a fool. And it opened the door. And the next chapter, he's battling the thorns. Now, I believe what the thorns were in Paul's ministry. Some say, well, if Paul had eye issues because sometimes he signs his letter with big hands. Are you serious? Maybe he had a stomach issue because he had Luke the physician. He said, a little wine is good for the stomach. Are you serious? The messenger of Satan were people sent to stop the ministry from going forth. There were people speaking against Paul, people speaking against the ministry, people speaking against the knowledge of Christ that was going forward. They were literally people, and this is, I will get so specific on who they were, they were people of Jewish descent or background that had received the message of grace and now tried to make them live according to the law again. That's who he was battling. That's what the thorn was. It was literally deceived religious people. It's who he was fighting. It's deceived religious people. It's who he was fighting. Now, why did the thorn come? Now, listen. Jesus said thorns come to choke out the word of God. Remember in Matthew, we just read it, Matthew 13, 22. Thorns were there, and the deceitfulness of wealth and the worries of life choke out the word of God, making it unfruitful. So thorns come to choke out the word of God that's been implanted in your life. So 2 Corinthians 12, 1 says this. Paul said, I will go on with the visions and great revelations from the Lord. Verse 7 says, to keep me from being conceited of these surpassing great revelations, a messenger of Satan sent a thorn in my flesh to choke out the word of God. Now this is how I will verify the truth in this, that the thorns and the things Paul was battling is not from God. It wasn't from God, and here's how you know that. If thorns are, now if thorns are from God, if they are, we'll just say if they are, if thorns are from God, why is God sending a thorn to choke out his own word that he's trying to get to progress? Have you ever heard of anything more stupid? Jesus has an agenda, God has an agenda. We're going to spread the gospel around the world. And on the other side, God's saying, I'm stopping the gospel. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? No, God said, I have come that you would have life, have it in abundance, to the full, till it overflows. He's empowered you for life. We sing, same power that raised Jesus from the grave lives in me, and that would be like God saying, I'm stopping my own power. No. Jesus even addressed the issue. He said, even you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your kids. How much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts? If you ask for a snake, or if you ask for a loaf of bread, will he give you a snake or a stone? That's what Jesus is inferring to. The same thing. So God is not trying to stop his word. Now thorns, we're, they're not from God. And we saw already saw how Paul opened the door for the thorns. So where did it come from? 
It came from what he just said. He was speaking like a fool. And so there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. And they always manifest in uh, personalities in a physical condition. So why did God not remove the thorn? Why did God not remove the thorn? What we allow in our lives, God expects us to stand up against the devil and drive them out through his grace and through his powerful word. So when you open the door by speaking like a fool, God expects you then to rise up in the authority that he's already given you to kick the fool back out. And you need to pray over the words that you speak. If you've ever called your children dumb, you need to start praying against that. I'm kicking that thorn out of my life. Your children are not dumb. God's got great and mighty plans for them. They're fearfully and wonderfully made. He's got a purpose for their life to give them a hope and a future. But you keep speaking death over them. Y'all need to get them thorns out of your family's lives. Well, you know little Billy, he's just like his daddy, daddy with that bad temper and his granddaddy with that, who had a, a rage problem and he was fighting stuff all the time. You know little Billy's going to be just like him. Shut your mouth. You're speaking like a fool. You've got the authority of God to rise up and say, Billy, you will not be like that. You've got a call of God on your life. The Bible says the fruit of the Spirit is self-control, so you can control that anger, little Billy. I believe in you. Do, do you understand? We must get to the fullness of what God is telling us in this. And so this is where God's term comes in. He says, my grace is sufficient for you. Now, you got to quit thinking of grace as, oh, grace that saved a lost sinner, a little wretch like me, because you sang Amazing Grace too much when you were growing up. Grace is more than God saving you from sin. Grace is the very DNA of God. It is the very power of God. There is a grace for saving grace. There is a grace for receiving Christ. Uh, let me rephrase that. There is a grace for you when you live in sin before you get saved. There is a grace for salvation. But then there's something called the abundant side of grace that we haven't even tapped into yet. Because the Bible says, and my grace, which will abound unto you, so that in all things, at all times, having all you need, you will abound unto every good work. So when God said, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, he said, I've given you all things at all times, having all you need, Paul, so you will abound unto every good work. Why don't you, Paul, kick him out of your life, is what he's saying. It is time to get rid of a thief. And whatever's breaking into your house, stealing your joy, kick it out. See, when God says, my grace is sufficient for you, he said, I got all of heaven back in you, Paul. You just start speaking like a man of God and not like a fool anymore, and I'm going to drive out this thief. I'm going to drive him out. God is saying, it's time for a church to rise up in its authority. It's time for a church to rise up in its power of grace that I've given you. More than just living in sin and getting forgiveness. More than just living like an idiot saying, oh, God will forgive me, his grace is so good. No, you haven't even tapped into grace. See, grace is not just meant for the sinner. Grace is really meant for the believer. To the one who believes in him. To walk in this untapped power source of him. This morning, I pray that you'll grasp the truth of God's grace. Many people think my grace is sufficient for you means that you're supposed to sit and suffer until the situation passes, and I don't believe that at all. Jesus didn't say sit and suffer. He said, go, because all authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me. You go in my name. What he said in Mark is even better. I don't understand why the Matthew uh, Great Commission is, is so more popular than Mark. Mark's awesome in Mark 16. 
He said, but you go in my name and drive out demons and speak in new tongues and tell people the truth. Freely have you received, freely give it. Come on. We don't like that because that causes work and action on our part. That causes faith on our part. God called you to faith. He didn't call you to safe places. He called you to faith places. We use that throughout the whole SOAR series. Stay in that mentality of faith. Now, whatever happened to Paul in this issue, because after this, you don't hear about it much. Was Paul ever delivered? Most people say, well, you know, poor Paul. God's grace was sufficient. He had to deal with it the rest of his life so much that Paul said, I asked three times. I asked three times, Paul said, and God says, my grace is sufficient for you. This is, so, this is great here. Because in the Hebrew, anything that's mentioned three times means perfection in that area. So when they say holy, 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 it means God is perfect holiness. When he said, I asked three times, he knew he was asking God for not just sin side of grace to cover him, not just grace to be born again, but the fullness of his grace to walk in all that God had called him to do. He didn't want part of grace. He said, I want perfect grace. I want all of it. And God said, my grace is sufficient for you. I love this, this is, and this is my favorite part. Was Paul ever delivered? Most people think that Paul ended up with this for the rest of his life, and it's simply not true. 2 Corinthians was written in 60 AD, while Paul was in the cities of Lystra and Iconium. Remember those two cities. He was in the city of Lystra and Iconium, and he was writing back to the church in Corinth. Now listen to what he tells Timothy. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 10 through 14. You, Timothy, however, have followed my teachings and my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, also my persecutions and my sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, which were persecutions I endured, yet the Lord has rescued me from all of them. Paul didn't put up with this for the rest of his life. God set him free. God said, we caught a thief. God said, Paul, look at it. It's a thorn that came into your life. You read the Old Testament a million times, Paul. You knew what Jesus said, Paul. Paul, it's time for you to name this thief. And he said, it's a messenger of Satan sent to stop the gospel of Jesus Christ. So he called out who it was. And once you call out a thief, whoo, they start running. You need to start calling out the thieves in your family. What's stealing the joy in your family? Well, if we just had more money, you ain't got a money problem. You got, you got, a, you got a poverty mindset problem. If you're spending everything you make living paycheck to paycheck, you got a poverty problem. And you need to change your lifestyle. Downgrade, get a different car, start over, get a fresh new start. Catch a thief. If it's robbing the blessing of your marriage, whatever it is, turn the television off, throw it out the daggum window. I mean, chunk your iPhone halfway across the yard and said, thief, get out of my house. Woo! I mean, come on. Do you want to catch a thief or not? Yes. And here's what I love about police chases. <laughs> Mitch been in a couple of these. Came in with busted up hands on a Sunday morning sometimes. When a police chase happens, when they're chasing somebody down, they don't just get next to him and say, would you please slow down? Would you please stop? No, they yelled, they yelled freeze or stop way back there. <laughs> and when they started running, a police officer isn't happy that he starts running. In fact, that makes a police officer mad. Come on. Can I get an amen, police officers? Amen. That makes them mad. Yeah. When the thief starts running from you, you ought to get madder. Yeah. 
because he's going to find another way to rob from you again. You don't just need to let him run. You need to be like a police officer. When a thief starts running, you need to take off after him, and you need to not just say stop. You need to tackle him, bind him, and throw him out of your house so he can't come back in. Come on now. And I am so tired of the body of Christ being bound by a thief. Mm. You're a strong man, the Bible says. Jesus referred to it like this. The only way for a thief to get what a strong man has is for him to first come in and bind up that strong person. Ooh, Jesus identified the thief. Today, what's bound you? Today, what's held you back? Today, what's stealing your joy? Today, what's stealing your marriage? Today, what is stealing your kids? What's got you bound that you don't feel like you can, you can move forward from? Today, I guarantee you, by the power of God, because His grace is sufficient for you, you can break what the devil's bound you with. You can break what the messenger of Satan's brought into your life. You are the strong man, the Bible says, that you can chase the thief out now and catch a thief because we got his fingerprints. We got his fingerprints. And we got proof all through the Bible about the thief. Jesus said it best. He said, the thief comes only to do three things, steal, kill, and destroy. Steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus said, I am come that you have life and have life to the full, in abundance to the full till it overflows is what that fully means. So if it's stealing from you, if it's killing you and destroying you, it's the enemy trying to stop you. Jesus is trying to impart life into you and grace into you to break those bonds to catch a thief. This morning, I declare he's caught. And But here's the best part. Here's the greatest part. Jesus said it best when the, when the 72 returned to him. They said, Jesus, even demons submit to us in your name. And Jesus said, don't rejoice that they submit to you in my name. Rejoice because your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Don't get excited that you caught a thief. Get excited that your name's written in the Lamb's book of life. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. That gets me so much more excited because when you catch a thief, you know for a fact you're written in the book of life. That's the proof that you're written in the book of life. 